If you were around last week, you know that we started this new series uh, looking at this amazing story uh, told through the book of Ruth about an amazing woman called Ruth. Uh, And I'd be encouraging you, uh, one of two things. One is this, please be reading the story of Ruth over the coming weeks because it will just do you good. The other is, please, if you weren't around last Sunday, please do listen uh, to the first of uh, the series just because it sets the tone of kind of why we're doing Uh, this book, but also it sets the tone of kind of what the story is all about and everything that goes on uh, in terms of the story. We both uh, tell the whole of the story and also kind of look at the uh, backdrop of the story, which I think will just really help you if you weren't around last week. Uh, You can listen to it on www.theoasischurch.com. You'll find it there. But in essence, there's a quick brief intro this morning. Why we're looking at the book of Ruth is we're living as a church this year with a, a deep understanding that God is wanting to affirm to us our name, Oasis, and that we're named Oasis for a reason. And Oasis is always about, Oasis is always about a re- place of refreshment, restoration, rest, and um, refuge. I always like look puzzled to see if someone will shout it out, just to see if you've remembered. Refuge. And what we're going to discover is through the story of Ruth, she is all of those things. And God is all of those things revealed. And therefore, something of who we're trying to be both together and also wherever we're placed is revealed through this amazing story of Ruth. And so that's why we're looking at it. Now, whenever you're looking at the Old Testament, you look at it in three, with three lenses, if you like. The first is you want to look at the story as the original hearers would have heard it. The second is you look at it through a lens of the fact that we're not Old Testament people of God. We live in the 21st century and we live in the privileged position post Jesus' life, death and resurrection. And therefore we also look at every story in the Old Testament with that lens as well. At the fact that we now live in this amazing freedom that Jesus has afforded us through his life, death and resurrection. That we get to live in the beauty of this resurrected life. And therefore get to look at the stories of the Old Testament and how they enrich the life that we're therefore invited to live. And then the third thing that we do is we look at it in a sense of the biggest story therefore. The biggest story of whatever's going on in the whole of Ruth. But also the biggest story that's told throughout the whole of the Bible. So that's how we approach any Old Testament story. Now, in it, what we said last week, or what I said last week, was that alongside us looking at the story, we want to kind of point out different resources that can help you. And I've actually asked um, Tamsin and Charlie just to uh, just quickly, briefly mention a book that they're finding uh, helpful at the moment they're reading through. So why don't you guys come forward? Let's welcome them. We'll keep going. Hi, yep. So we've um, been going through this book, A Loving Life, this year. And um, Miller basically just talks you through um, the story of Naomi. Um, sorry, story of, yeah, story of Ruth. Um, looking at how Ruth loves Naomi and Naomi loves Ruth and Boaz loves Ruth and Naomi and um, what we can learn from them. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we just found it really helpful and um, hope that it will be helpful to you guys as well. Um, in particular, it's quite a challenging read because loving people can be really hard, but it's really hopeful because it shows us how beautifully Jesus has loved us and how that can shape the way that we can love other people. Um, so, yeah, give it a go. If you're Fantastic. So, A Loving Life by Paul Miller. I have got it. It looks good. Encourage you if you want to read it, please get and buy it, and then you'll be able to read it. Um, in terms of this morning, then, where we're going to get to is we're going to pick up the story in a moment in verse six. But what I want us to do is remember where we got to last week, which if you weren't here, you won't know. But I'm just going to quickly remind us. If you like, this is the recap of EastEnders. 
or in your soap opera. Actually, EastEnders doesn't do this. This is kind of like the American recap where the first bit of the ad before the ad break is the previous episode. And so if you like, what's previously happened so far in the story of Ruth is we've been introduced to this family, this family of four, a husband, wife, and two sons. Husband, wife, and two sons that are in a historic period of time of the judges, which was a chaotic period of time in terms of politics and religion. And in that moment, they'd found themselves not only in this chaotic time, but also in a chaotic moment where there was famine in their land. And so what they decide to do as a family of four is to retreat from the land where they'd been placed by God and to go to a foreign land that was kind of out of God's plan, but they felt that that was the right place to go because there didn't seem to be famine there. And so they went there, and what happened was tragedy. What we quickly found out in literally five verses is firstly the husband died. So the dad of the family was dead, so the mum was left with two sons, and the two sons married local girls. And then we quickly find out the next tragedy happens. It's a double whammy this time. The two sons die. And we find that this is the dramatic, dark backdrop moment, the cliffhanger end of the episode, where we find that there's these three women that are left widowed in a land where, for one of them, it was never their own. And it's in that place with all of that darkness, with all of the hope kind of sucked out, that we now pick up the story with a theme tune. And it's the next episode. So if we get to verse 6. So we start off here. When Naomi heard in Moab that the land had come to the, the Lord had come to the aid of his people, this is back in Judah, by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. So what we find in this next part, this next episode of the story, is that Naomi has discovered word has got back to her in the foreign land that she's made home, in the foreign land that her and her family had settled in, that she still maintained this connection with where home was ultimately home with the people of God in Judah. And this message had come that said, actually, famine's over. And famine's over because food's in our hand. And when Naomi hears this, she says, well, this can only mean one thing. This means that God has come to the rescue of his people. She's still a woman of faith. She still understood that God had control of the situation. And hearing this news, that God had taken control of the situation, causes her to think there's only one course of action now. I need to return home to my people. I need to return home to the land. And so she gets her family that is now, which is these two daughters-in-law, and says, now we're going to return to the land of Judah. This is the place I've lived, but actually this isn't the place I belong. I want to go back. Now in this point, as she hits the road, this is a road, if you remember, that she'd been on before. A road that she'd actually entered the land of Moab on. A road that she'd entered with her husband and two sons. And that they'd done this road out of the deep desire to provide rescue for themselves. Rescue from death. That this road had led to a point which they were hoping would be life. A life where they could provide food for themselves as a family. Because they were fleeing a place of famine. Now Naomi finds herself on this road again. But boy must it have tasted bitter. The very road that she used as a family, as a place and route of rescue, was now one that had the backdrop of total disappointment. 
disappointment that had only led to death. And so as she's returned along this road, she knows she's returning from a place that had brought such disappointment. It's with this, in the sense of silence and anticipation that we continue in the story. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye. And they wept aloud and said to her, we will, not go, we will go back with you to your people. See, what happens is that Naomi, having set off on this track, doesn't suddenly have a change of mind and thinking, actually, you're not going to come with me. It's more rather that probably she had decided that actually if she spoke about her desire to go back and for them not to go with her, they may have talked her into staying in Moab. And so therefore, along the road, out of deep love for these ladies that she doesn't just call daughters-in-law, she calls them her daughters. She loves them, she cherishes them, desires her best for them. And realizes that actually for them to go with her is hopeless. And therefore she sets them aside and says, no, no, you need to go back. You need to go back to your mother's house. Why she says that rather than the father's house is she saying, you need to go back to your mother because she'll be able to arrange a marriage for you. This is a time that these people, women were living in where actually you needed to be married to survive. Whatever we think of that with our 21st century mindset, actually at this moment in time, they knew that actually they needed the protection of a marriage situation. And Naomi understood that. And so she prays, prays for them, saying, I, I want to trust you to God. I'm powerless, but he could do something about this. And then kisses them, which is this sign of saying, this is it, this is done, we're gone. And yet they hear the news, hear everything she says, and they kind of turn it around and say, no, no, we're with you. And Naomi kind of hears what they say and then steps it up a gear, steps it up a gear in terms of her her sense of, you can't come with me. And starts to reveal not only a heart of love for them, but also a heart of desperation. So we pick up again, it says, but Naomi said, return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight, and then gave birth to sons. Would you wait until they were grew up, they'd grown up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It is more bitter for me than for you, because the Lord's hand has turned against me. So this is a moment of kind of dark comedy. Where Naomi hears their response and says, Well, no, you don't understand. There is no point coming with me. There's no point coming on this journey because it's not like I'm going to suddenly get married again and therefore you can have the hope of a marriage yourself through my sons. That's, that's not going to happen. And, and then she kind of says, ups the stakes a bit and says, well, imagine it for a moment. Let's imagine for a moment that I do get a husband. And miracle of miracle, we make love tonight. That's what she's saying. And then miracle of miracle of miracles, that we make love tonight, and I, consume, I conceive not only one, but two sons. 
A miracle of miracles, I give birth to both of them. Are you both going to hang around watching them grow up so they can be your husbands? And there's also the kind of edge at the end of, and even when they have grown up, you'll be quite old by then. And may they, they might not actually want you to be their wives. So she was kind of using this moment. I said, this is nuts. This is crazy language for you to say you're going to come with me. It makes no sense whatsoever. And then if you like it, then begins to expose even more of herself. As she becomes even more transparent towards them. And gets to this point of saying, they don't understand. You've still got hope here. You could, you could go and make a life for yourselves. But for me, I, I have bitter pill to swallow. I have a bitter pill to swallow that actually there is no hope for me. And more than that, when I look at my life situation, the only conclusion I can make is the Lord's hand is against me. In other words, God is seeking to do me harm. This is a woman who just felt desperate and she did not want these other ladies with her. And we continue. At this, they wept aloud again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. At this point, we could say that Orpah then was the lightweight. Orpah decides, I've heard enough. I hear what you're saying. I'm off. Back to Moabite. Um, but you see, Orpah actually isn't the villain of this story. The author, the teller of this story, ensures that's the case. She just says, actually, she's the obedient one. She's the one who hears what's said and says, actually, what makes sense then is for me to go. I honor you by going. And that's it. That's Orpah's role at this point. She's gone. Departed from the story. In order we can be left with two. Two women who are quite amazing. One who is in total despair the other who will not let go. And that word clung literally means that it's as though she's so tightly on this person, they could do nothing to get rid of them. And that word clung kind of wasn't just a momentary kind of word. It was a word that was encompassing a sense of, I'm, I'm never letting go. I'm here. You can't kick me off. It's like a, a small child who attaches themselves to your leg and however much you're kind of swinging them around, they just somehow got this lethal, stealth-like grip around you and you just cannot get them off. And it's, Ruth at this point is like that. I'm not going anywhere. And Naomi sees her clinging and thinks, no, this is, this is a moment to kick you off. She says, look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. She appeals to her and says, look, don't you understand, you're, you're not like me. We're not of the same people. We don't believe in the same God. Therefore, go and be with people who are like you. Go and go back. Final plea. And then Ruth responds and says, but Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. You see, where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. 
When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. Ruth was not going to take no for an answer. What we have here is in this moment of darkness, just as we saw last week, this breaking out of light, and we'll see continuously through this story, this breaking out of light that's revealed through this Hebrew word, heset. And hesed, what it means is that word that reveals itself through three English words of loyal, loving, kindness. And you see in Ruth in this moment as she clings and will not let go, is what she's saying and what she's expressing is this deep sense of loyalty to Naomi. This deep sense of loyalty out of love. There is a deep desire to be kind to her. And as she says it, she says, oh, because I'm now with you. Your God is my God. That she's left her family, her Moabite family. She's left her Moabite religions and she's got to this point saying, actually, your God, Yahweh, is now my God. When she uses that word, let the Lord deal with me so severely, it's that word Yahweh saying, the God of the, pe- of the people of God, the Israelite God, he's now my God. And he's the one who's going to keep this account because there's nothing that's going to separate me from you. Not even death. That's how I'm clinging on. And you see, we can get to this point of the story. And we think this is an amazing story, but what about us then? Because surely it isn't just that we look at the lens of what it looked like for the original hearers. It's also what does it look like for us in this room? And at that moment, we have to then look at it through a different lens. A, a lens of the road that they're on. A lens of the road that they're on that actually I believe is a road that any one of us has trodden. And if we haven't trodden it, I can promise you not by being a prophet of doom, but by being a realist, you will tread it. And that is the road that is marked by disappointment. See, for Naomi and for Ruth, their lives weren't how they thought they would be. They knew what it was to set off on this journey and to live with deep sense of disappointment. And I promise you, if you haven't, you will do. And if you have, you know it. That when you live with disappointment, the road that you then get to live as your life can feel hard. And that might be disappointment by things not quite going your way in terms of work. It might be you passed over promotion, or there seems to be this injustice of how others are treated or how you're treated. It might be in respect to your health. It might be your, your kind of sense of wanting to look for a job. It might be in respect to your want for a relationship. It might be in respect to kind of your recovery. It might be that you arrive on a Sunday morning and you think, man, that wall's not where it is. It doesn't feel as comfortable anymore. I don't feel like I've got a seat. And it becomes this moment of disappointment. This isn't how I thought it would be. And you see, what we find is in this interaction between Ruth and Naomi, is in that road that can be marked by disappointment, we find that there's these different signposts. Signposts are erected in respect to how they then respond. And what we discover is that through Naomi, we discover these signposts that are just there that bring something of the reality of what it is to live on a road that's marked by disappointment. Then with Ruth, we're going to see a signpost that then shines out, that allows us to see actually maybe there is a way through. And what we're going to discover is just briefly as we look at them, these signposts of of Naomi, actually a kind of a double signpost, a signpost of reality and a signpost of warning. I just want us to quickly just look at these signposts. 
So we start off with the signpost of prayer. See verse 8 9. See that on this road that's marked with such disappointment, a road, as I said, that Naomi had trodden before with such hope, hope of rescue for her whole family going into Moabite territory. She's now treading on the way back thinking, if we'd only stayed put, maybe everyone would still be alive. Maybe I wouldn't be alone. And in that moment, while she treads with that disappointment, she then looks at the ladies with her and her desire is to pray for them. And she prays the most wonderful prayer that you can ever pray for yourself or someone else. Regardless actually of whether they're facing or you're facing disappointment or life not going that well or life's at the top of the game. If you pray this prayer, it is amazing both for yourself or others. And it's a prayer that goes this, may the Lord show you kindness. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Now at that point you're thinking the end bit, do I really want to pray for Adrian that he finds rest in the arms of another husband? Well, that's not the point because that was the application of rest for Naomi. But what's happening here is that for Naomi, she's looking, she's saying, actually, I'm powerless, but what I do know is that God is powerful. And that word kindness is, again, that word hesed. Of God, you are the ultimate one who reveals hesed, loyal, loving kindness. And I want to pray and ask you, God, would you show loyal, loving kindness to these women? And I want to ask, would you show it by what? Giving them rest. What does that word rest mean? It doesn't mean kind of put your feet up at the beach. Now that rest is way deeper. It's both the absence of conflict and the presence of security and comfort. The absence of conflict and the presence of comfort and security. What she's saying is, I want to pray that for you. I want to pray to the one who can provide that, whose heart is towards you. What a prayer to pray for others. That as we hear their moments of disappointment, that we don't run alongside and say, oh man, it's really bad. We do that. But we also sit and say, let me pray for you. I want to pray to the Lord who's loyal, loving, and kind, that he'd come and give you rest. They want to pray for ourselves in these moments. To the God who is loyal, loving, and kind, revealed through Jesus, that he'd come and give us that rest, which is both these moments of the absence of the conflict may not mean that it goes away completely, but the presence where at that moment we feel its absence, but more than that, we know his comfort and security. But you see, as I said, every sign is double-edged. You see, for Naomi, this sign was double-edged because in one sense, she's praying for these girls, saying, God, would you do this? But on the other side, she's not praying for herself. See, this moment of her road of disappointment actually leads to her to a point of it was easier to pray for others than to pray for God's kindness and rest for herself. And sometimes that can be the case. Sometimes we can feel disappointed and it becomes easier to pray for others than it is for ourselves. And at that moment, we have to just keep coming back and when we find it in our heart, we have to live in transparency of community and say, do you know what? I'm finding it so hard. Would you help pray for me? See, what I say is because Naomi's heart's about to get exposed. Her, her inner being is about to be revealed. Her transparency is about to be seen. Because this moment that seems so governed by kindness and love, which it was towards these women, then revealed the kind of sense of who and how she was doing in herself. 
So from the signpost of prayer, we then get the signpost of hopelessness. So we discover in this comic kind of narrative of what could happen in her providing a husband, or having a husband and then being to provide from her offspring husbands for these women was impossible. There's no way this could happen, which, as a note, if you're going to do the whole journey of the story of Ruth, that's quite a key thing to remember. At this point, this seems impossible. Therefore, that's when you perk your ears up and say, all right, an impossible thing. I wonder who's going to come through on that then. We'll see that one in a few, few weeks' time. But at this point, at this moment, what it's revealing more is her own sense of hopelessness. To journey with me is to journey in hopelessness. There is no hope. It's impossible what could happen. Therefore, don't come with me. See, the reality is sometimes we can hit disappointment and we can be left feeling like hope is being sucked from our life. And at that point, what I don't want us to hear is that we say, well, we put a smile on and we say, whatever, hope anyway. And sometimes the reality is it just feels like hope has been sucked from us. And the signpost we need to live with in the, in the road of despair is one, or road of disappointment, is one where we say it just seems as though hope has gone. Here's the warning, though, because remember, double edge, the warning of this sign is isolation. Because what Naomi does in her understanding of her life just feels hopeless is that she immediately says to the two people who are on for the journey, don't come with me. I just need to be alone. The biggest danger when things feel like it's getting dark, when it feels like the hope is going, is that that point that we start to feel like, I need to just do this by myself. No one can understand. I'm alone. And we become isolated. So I can remember when, uh, three years ago, the bridge that we've heard celebrated this morning in terms of uh, Roy's story, uh, we were at a point where genuinely, I remember on a kind of weekday looking at some accounts, having a conversation with John, and then not sleeping that night. It's because what I realized is, if we keep going on the trajectory, the bridge is going at this point in time financially, residence-wise, the bridge will be no more within three months. And so I didn't sleep a lot that night, I can promise you. Because for me, what I was thinking at that point is, what is that going to mean for the residents that we've got? The other thing I thought is, what does it mean for the staff that we employ, all of whom I deeply love, all of whom's families I really know. Am I really going to be the guy who makes them redundant? Am I really going to be the guy who closes the house to bring hope to those who have none? I remember waking... Well, I didn't wake up. I remember <laughs> being slightly bad for the for first thing in the morning and going in to what was always the suite next door and meeting with Gus and Vince and Mike. I remember just saying, guys, I feel hopeless. At that point, I could have isolated myself. I could have said, actually, I've just got to try and figure out the answer, but I knew I couldn't do it. And so in that moment, I said, I feel hopeless. Would you stand with me? Because the deal is this. At the moments we feel hopeless, we have to remember that being part of a follower of Jesus, we're connected as a body. When one part suffers, all parts suffer. So it's our responsibility at that point to say, hey, I'm suffering. Would you come in? It isn't our point at that point to say, hey, this is how bad it is. I've found hope. No, it's just that this is the reality. So we take the signpost of hopelessness. The next signpost is despair. 
Verse 13, Naomi then gets to that point of hopelessness to say, it is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. You see, sometimes we can look at our life and just say, actually, how it's all panning out isn't just disappointing, but it just doesn't feel like there's any purpose to it. I look at it and think, this doesn't feel fair. And it leads us to that point of just thinking, I, I cannot see, like, hope has gone and I am just left despairing. And for Naomi, she got to that point of just looking at her life, everything had gone and thinking, I, I can't deal with this. And not only can I not deal with it, as I look at it, I think, man, it just seems like God's against me. See, sometimes it can get to that point. The reality is we can get to the point of thinking, it just seems like God is against me. I'm just left despairing. Now, the warning at this point is that we need to ensure that, unlike Nomi, we don't get to the point of saying, well, then this is my identity. I now take on bitterness here. Everyone else has it way easier than me. No one understands how bad it is for me. We're going to find out in a couple of weeks' time that actually Nomi was then to say, I don't even want to be called Nomi anymore. I want to change my whole identity because of how this is now revealed through my life. For some of us, we've allowed disappointment to start to characterize how we live. And for us at this point in time, as we live through these signs, it isn't that we then say, well, okay, how do I magically remove the signs? It's rather that we allow now the last sign to shine brighter than all of the others. Because what we find is through Naomi's story at this point, there's these signposts that come, and then we get to Ruth, and she reveals this one sign. A one sign that then provides light that breaks out in each of the other signs. And that's the sign of commitment. Where she just basically says, where you go, I'll go, and where you stay, I'll stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. I'm not going anywhere. I'm with you. Now, for us, it isn't that we're then saying, well, I'm going to cling to Adrian and everyone else in Oasis. That's the point. That when I'm in disappointment, I'll, I'll be with them. Is that I'm going to find my Nomi? No, it's that we found a Nomi who is God, who is Jesus, who promises, however disappointing life is, he is one that understands and we remain committed to. He is one that we've committed and said, actually, regardless of what this life throws at us, regardless of how much it feels like hope has gone, despair is coming, that at this point, I'm going to commit again to you, Jesus. And say, where you go, I go. Right through that death will not separate us because he said the same to us. Where you go, I go. Death will never separate us. Nothing can separate us from, your, from the love I have towards you. But the thing is, to understand this, we have to under, quickly understand two other roads. The two other roads are this. First is the road of the prodigal son. Because if we just think, oh, right, yeah, it's Jesus, I need to stay committed to Jesus, it's all about me, we forget it's actually in response to who he is. See, we have two other roads through the bigger story of the Bible that reveal lives and stories of disappointment. So you have this disappointment of the prodigal son, a son who says, I'm going to take all my inheritance now while my dad is alive and say, I don't care about you. You're as good as dead to me, dad. I want my inheritance now. Then goes and blows it. Gets to a point where his life has got so disappointing that he's living, eating pig swill. At that point, he thinks and comes to his senses. Maybe... 
my life could be better if I just went and served my dad. And so returns home. And Jesus tells this story and says, that's what it is for us. That we can look and say, maybe my life will be better if I just live with myself at the center and try and make sense of it. And then we look and see that actually we can never make sense of it. We always end up in one way or another leading to a life that does us harm. And then Jesus' light breaks in through his life, death, and resurrection and says, actually, come to me and know this life. And Jesus tells this story about this son who then takes that painful road of disappointment in order that he go humbly before his father. And what Jesus says is this is how the father, who's an image of God, receives him on that road. But Luke 15, 20, but while he was still a long way off on that road of disappointment, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms round him and kissed him. On the road to disappointment, on the road that's marked by disappointment, we have a God who is our father, who's longing for us just to quickly gaze up. And as we gaze up and say, God, I need you. It may be because we found in a moment of disappointment of our own doing. We've made some decisions. We just think this is just done what I've done. It may be no decision we've made. It's just stuff has happened. We're left thinking, I don't understand why it's this. In that moment, we're called to look and say, Father. And at that moment, he is looking expectantly to run and rush in to pour out his compassion on us. That's the first road. Second road is this, the road of Emmaus. Road to Emmaus, we find two friends of Jesus who after his death have heard rumors of his resurrection but just can't believe it. Are just left totally disappointed. There could be no more disappointment than these two guys on a road having thought they've got everything in Jesus to discover that he just died like the same as everyone else. And they've heard these rumors of resurrection but they can't believe it. It can't be true. And so they're on a road to a place called Emmaus. And as they're on that road, they just can't help but share how disappointed they are. And we're told that Jesus comes and journeys with them. Journeys with them on that road. And at the end of the journey, reveals himself to them. In him revealing himself to them, they then say this about the road. Luke 24, 32. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road? The story of the road of Emmaus of Jesus coming and journeying with two friends who were just deeply disappointed is a, a model of how Jesus wants to journey with any and every one of us as we hit those roads of disappointment. He wants to journey with us on it, causing us to understand that he's with us in it, causing us sometimes to understand why things are going on, sometimes to understand that we won't understand yet why things are going on, but he is with us in order that we can get to a point where we say, even in this road, marked by such disappointment, I can still see Jesus with me and I'm left with a heart that's burning for him. Which leaves us this morning on the road which I'd say is getting to a point like Ruth. So if you go to the last slide, Ruth, verse 5, or 15, sorry, I should say. Verse 15, it just says, but Ruth clung to her. 
Here's the deal. When you find yourself on a road that's marked by disappointment, cling to Jesus. Because he already has become a rock that we can cling to who is not going anywhere. I cannot promise you that things will always change. I know they will do one day when he comes back and makes everything new, but I cannot promise that for the moment. What I can promise is he is not going to go anywhere. And his deepest desire is for you and for me to be people who are on the road of disappointment, cling to him and say, with you here, I now know loyal, loving kindness. I now know your compassion and your love. And my heart begins, even in this dark place, to burn because you're here. Can I pray for us? Then we're going to end. Jesus, I thank you for your presence with us this morning. I thank you, Jesus, that your desire is that we would never know loneliness, isolation, that we'd never be overcome by, thing, by deep senses of disappointment. Brother, your want is for us just to keep remaining clung to you. And Jesus, we say, each of us, that we need to cling to you. And I pray for different ones of us. I pray for those of us who just feel like it's dark at the moment. And they feel like, I can't even know if I can see you yet, Jesus, to cling to you. I pray, would you come and just reveal how close you are? Just literally just an arm away. And I pray you'd rush and cause many to find rest in you today. I pray for many of us who aren't at that point. I pray that you'd cause us to live, regardless of how good or bad it's going, deeply clung to you. Amen.